Please turn again in your Bibles to Luke 6. And as we begin, let me pray for us. Lord God, perfectly wise, perfectly holy, perfectly full of understanding, please pour your spirit on us now that we would understand your word, that we would love you more deeply and follow you as our Lord and our Savior, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I've called uh, this sermon Sabbath Showdowns. But we're actually today only going to look at the first Sabbath showdown, uh, verses 1 to 5. I, I've done a James, you see, and I've only, <laughs> only preached on the first half. So we'll do the, the second half of this passage next week. But for now, um, let's look at verses 1 to 5. So imagine for a moment that you are one of those Pharisees in Luke chapter 6. Try for a moment to be sympathetic to them. You're sat down, enjoying a lovely Sabbath afternoon, enjoying the view, when suddenly there spoiling your view is a small group strolling through Asher Bar Josek's cornfield. Look, they're picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating the kernels. And you think to yourself, what on earth are they doing? Now, you know that they're not stealing. You know that you're not, they're not stealing. You've read uh, the book of Deuteronomy. You know that in Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25, it says, If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick the kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. So people are allowed to green to, to glean, sorry. That way, if you think people like Ruth in the Old Testament are cared for. But those men over there, they are doing it on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. Now you know also your Ten Commandments. Now, in the Ten Commandments, you've read that you must keep the Sabbath day holy. Here's that command as it's worded in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you, your son or daughter, your, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So far, so good. I, 
as a Pharisee, you, you think you know how to keep that. If you're a carpenter, don't do any woodwork on the Sabbath. If you're a farmer, don't farm on the Sabbath. But, but wait, well, here's a question. What about at harvest time? In harvest time, you've got that short window of time to get the crops in. What about then? Can a farmer farm at harvest time in that close window of opportunity? Well, luckily for you, Pharisee, God in his revelation has told you what to do in that situation. Exodus 34, 21 says, Six days shall you labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing season and the harvest, you must rest. Okay, so as you in your pharisaical mind are trying to work out all the ins and outs of the Sabbath command, harvest time is, is not allowed. But then here's the question. Here is the question. How much before it becomes work? How much before it becomes work? How far can I walk until that becomes work? How much can I uh, pick and rub corn before that becomes harvesting? How much before it becomes work? As a Pharisee, that is the question that you are desperate to answer. Because once you've answered that question, you know where the law is, where the line is, and then you know where you can not step over and where you can stay within. But we've got an issue. We have an issue. The law doesn't speak to that question. The law does not say how much until it becomes work. So, my pharisaical friends, what are we to do? <gasps> Here's an idea. I know. Let's think. We need to keep the Sabbath holy. And I know that I am allowed to pick corn, not with a sickle, but with my hands, I am allowed to pick corn. But, but I do not know how much corn picking it is before it becomes too much. How much corn I can pick before that becomes work. Ha, I know what I'll do. If I pick no corn, no corn at all on the Sabbath, then I definitely haven't broken any command. If I pick no corn on the Sabbath, there's no way that I'm doing any work. So rather than go into that gray area where we're not really sure, where I might accidentally break the Sabbath command without meaning to, I'll just steer well clear of it entirely. Stay well away then I'm definitely keeping the law. Now pause, pause. My pharisaical friends, do you see what we have just done? We have just added a law. In our desire to keep the law, we've actually added another one. We've said no corn picking whatsoever. We've added a law, a law which God did not command. God did not command you, pick no corn whatsoever. No. But in our, in our desire to keep the law, we've added a command. Similar, as we said in our kids' talk, to Eve. In Eve's desire, or Adam and Eve's desire to 
keep the law, don't eat, they added a command, don't touch. I think maybe a, a modern equivalent of this thing would be uh, the following situation. We know from scripture that we are not supposed to get drunk. Being drunk is wrong. But that's, that's tricky because if I um, was a large man and I'd just eaten a big meal, I could eat a lot more, sorry, I could drink a lot more alcohol than I could if I was a skinny man who hadn't eaten for a long time. Ah, we've got a gray area. How, how much alcohol are you allowed to drink? Well, for large David, who's just eaten lots, he can drink a bit more than skinny David, who hasn't e eaten anything. There's, there's no line that I can just say this much. I can't get a pipette and put a drop by drop of beer to work out how much beer I'm supposed to drink. And so what, what should I do? Well, some people might say, don't drink any alcohol. If you don't drink any alcohol, there's no way that you're getting drunk. Now, now, my friends, uh, be, being teetotal is okay, and many people do that for wisdom reasons or for um, because they know their own strengths and weaknesses. So I'm not having a go at being teetotal, but I'm having a go at that that desire in our fervent desire not to get drunk and not to go anywhere near that gray area where we're not really sure. You go the easiest solution: don't drink any alcohol. It's the same heart attitude as the Pharisee. Because I'm not sure how I'll keep the first law. I'll add a law to make sure I'm safe. Now, the Pharisee in us thinks that it's okay because at least we'll keep the original law. We'll keep the Sabbath if I don't, if I don't pick any corn. So, so God will be happy with us, right? I'm keeping the Sabbath holy, so God will be happy with me. I'm not getting drunk, so, so God will be happy with me. I, I, I'm not even eating the fruit of the tree, so even if, if I touch it, if I, sorry, if I don't touch it, God will be happy with me? Well, the Pharisee thinks so. But let's see. Let's see. We'll see how the Pharisees do in these two Sabbaths that are in Luke 6, in this passage, where they encounter Jesus. So let's then come into the first Sabbath showdown, verses 1, um, 1 to 5. As we said, the Pharisees see the disciples picking and rubbing corn in their hands. And that's the offending action. That's the offending action. Because to them, that's basically harvesting. And you're not allowed to harvest. But... Is what the disciples are doing unlawful? Is rubbing grain with your hands on the Sabbath unlawful? Well, search the Old Testament. Search the law with a fine comb. I think you'll find there is not a single law that they have broken. The, fact, the disciples haven't broken a law, I don't think. What they have broken is the Pharisees' extra law. 
And what ha- it's the extra law that the Pharisees made to help them keep the Sabbath law. So when the disciples break the extra law, it threatens them. They feel threatened. It threatens their system. Their system is that if they are good enough, even if they're good enough by divine grace, then God will accept them. But when the disciples come picking and rubbing grain and eating it, that threatens the whole pharisaical understanding of how I keep the law and how I gain the favor of God. And so they oppose the disciples. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? But notice, the you there is plural. Why are you plural, disciples? Why are you disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? But notice that the disciples don't respond. Look at verse 3. Jesus does. Jesus answers them. Jesus gets defensive. Jesus gets defensive. Jesus answers them, not the disciples. And this is wonderful. Friends, take heart and take comfort from this. In in this passage, Jesus continues his precedent of speaking on behalf of his people when they are accused. Jesus continues what he has always done, speaking on behalf of his people when they are accused. Think of Job in Job chapter 1. Hear the pride in God's voice as he says this. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God speaking in defense of Job. We see it in the book of Zechariah chapter 3 with Joshua the high priest. Again, the Lord says to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man, Joshua the high priest, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? God defends his accused people. And with us, it's true of us. In Romans 8, we read, Who will bring any charge against God's elect, against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. And so, as always, even now, Jesus does not stand by while his, while his followers are accused. And so rather than let the disciples answer the question, Jesus answers the Pharisees' question. Take heart from that, my friends. But then, how does he answer? Verses 3 and 4, he says, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful, only for priests to eat. And he gave, and he also gave some to his companions. Jesus gives a fine summary of what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21 at the beginning of that chapter. A uh, bit of background. Remember, David is fleeing from Saul after discovering with the help of Jonathan that Saul wanted to kill him. 
He's fled quickly so he doesn't have any supplies with him. And he goes to Ahimelech the priest and asks for bread. And the only bread that's there that he is given is the consecrated bread, the bread of the presence. And he asks for a sword as well. And he's given Goliath's sword. But Jesus highlights the issue for us. Only the priests were allowed to eat the consecrated bread. And so it seems that David is breaking this law. Notice again that word lawful comes up in verse 4. What is lawful only for priests eat. That word comes a number of times in our passage. In verse 2 we saw when it was what was unlawful on the Sabbath. We'll see it later in the passage as well. Now, there, there are two or so different ways to take the argument Jesus is making here. But here's what I think Jesus is saying. The, the assumed point one, if you like, Jesus is saying, my disciples aren't breaking any law in the Old Testament. My disciples aren't breaking any law in the Old Testament. Point two, but let's assume for argument's sake that they have broken a law. I don't think they have, but let's assume that Pharisees, that they have broken a law. Even if we concede that the disciples have broken the Sabbath, what about David? David broke a law about who could eat the bread, but no one cares about that. Why? Why does no one get all flustered and angry that David broke that law? that only the priests could eat the consecrated bread. Why? Well, I think it's because in David and Ahimelech's case, sorry, David and Ahimelech's case, sorry, and in the disciples' case, there's a common theme. It is what um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism calls works of necessity and mercy. They were hungry. David was hungry. He had no food. The disciples were hungry. They, they, wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have started eating if they weren't hungry. Here we have what I think is a work of necessity and mercy. Ahimelech took mercy on David because he had no food. David had no food. It was a work of necessity on his side. You see, the Sabbath command says nothing about not eating. Nowhere does it say you shall not eat on the Sabbath. The Sabbath says nothing about not eating, which... Which leads Jesus to say, verse 5, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man, that's Jesus' title for himself. So here's the question. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath? Again, similar to before, I think this can be taken in, in two or so ways. But, but the way that I'm taking is, is that effectively Jesus is the legislator of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He makes the rules about the Sabbath. And crucially, not the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, not you. You don't make the rules about the Sabbath. I do. You're not the legislator, the lawmaker of the Sabbath. I am. You are not Lord. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus makes the rules. Now, 
Friends, normally to us, if we were to hear that phrase, Jesus makes the rules, it, it might not give us a comfort. Often the, the, the usual comfort we hear is that Jesus kept the rules for you, right? But there is still comfort actually here in the fact that Jesus makes the rules. It is the best news ever, and I'll tell you why. It's good news for at least two reasons. There's good news that Jesus makes the rules and not us, right? Because number one, our hearts love to make rules for the wrong reasons. Our hearts love to make rules for the wrong reasons. And number two, Jesus's burden is light. Jesus's burden is light. So let's look at those. It is good news that Jesus makes the rules. Jesus is the legislator. Number one, because our hearts love to make rules for the wrong reasons. You see, every human being alive has two options facing them. Be saved by grace or try and fail to be saved by your works. Be saved by grace or try and fail to be saved by works. Now, the first option being saved by grace, in that option, my salvation is completely outside of my control. It is outside my control. I have to trust completely that Jesus has accomplished it and that he will see it through to the end. I have to trust Jesus a lot. I I can't meddle. I, I can't make sure Jesus is doing what he's supposed to be doing. In being saved by grace, I have no control. I have to leave it all with Jesus. But in the second option, in the second option, I get to control my salvation. Rather than trusting that Jesus will do it for me, I'll just make sure I can do it myself. You see, I have to trust that Jesus' character is good. And if I'm not sure that Jesus has has got my best interests at heart, maybe, or if I'm not sure that Jesus is powerful enough, or if I'm not sure that Jesus is loving enough, well, what I can do is I'll take it into my own hands. I will do it myself. Forget Jesus. I can't trust him. Or it's too much to trust Jesus. Let me do my own salvation. Let me do it. I'll make the rules. I'll try and keep them. And that'll be my way of controlling my salvation. But there's just one problem. I can't. I can't. I can't control my salvation. And so what I end up doing is trying and failing to be saved by my own works. That's that's what happens. I just fail and I end up not being saved. Now, the sensible thing to do then, the sensible thing to do surely is to stop trying and failing by your to, to be saved by your own works and instead to come to Jesus and to be saved by him and to cast all your hope and all your trust on him. It's the only sensible thing to do. I can't save myself. So rather than try and control and fail and be damned forever, cast all my hope, all my trust on Jesus. 
It's the only reasonable thing to do. It's the only sensible thing to do. But is that what the Pharisees do? No. No. Because being saved by grace is to give up control. To be saved by grace is to give up control. And our hearts are naturally inclined to take control, to seize control, to never give it up. I want to glorify myself. I want me to be king. I want to be king and control my own salvation rather than let God be king and effectively, effectually save me. I want to be king and control my salvation rather than let God be king and effectively, effectually save me. Being saved by grace is to give up control, but our hearts love to make rules. And that would mean that we would never be saved. Being saved by grace is to give up control. So, if Jesus makes the rules, if Jesus makes the rules, he's in control and he can save us. And that is the first reason why it is good news that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, that Jesus is legislator, that Jesus makes the rules. Number two, Jesus's burden is light. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He makes the Sabbath rules. Now compare, in Isaiah 58, God says that the, the Sabbath should be called a delight. It says, call the Sabbath a delight. But compare that, where you can call the Sabbath a delight, with the Pharisees' version of the Sabbath, where Calvin phrases it quite nicely. Calvin says, one could scarcely move a finger without making the conscience tremble. One could scarcely move a finger without making the conscience tremble. You see, the point of the Sabbath, the point of the Sabbath is to stop what you're doing, rest in Jesus, and worship God. Stop what you're doing, rest in Jesus, and worship God. The point of the Sabbath is not to squabble over how much hand rubbing constitutes harvesting. It's ridiculous. If you spend your Sabbath thinking, how much of this do I have to do before I start working? That's ridiculous. And later on, as we come to take communion, James will quote from Jesus' words in Matthew, where Jesus says, my burden is light. My burden is light. Have you ever heard or experienced a light burden? Think when, when you're maybe next Saturday walking at Ben McDewey with your heavy rucksack. That's a burden. It's not a light burden. That's a heavy burden. As, as, as one person once put it, when Jesus says that his burden is light, it's almost as if saying that his burden is a non-burden. It's a non-burden. It's, it's light. 
So, so when Jesus gives us rules, yeah, he gives us rules, not to save us. We, we've seen that our inability to keep rules shows that we must be saved by grace. But Jesus does give us rules like stop what you're doing, rest in Jesus and worship God. And, and if you do that, you'll see that Jesus's burden is really delightful. The Sabbath is a delight. And so that's the second reason why it is good news that Jesus makes the rules, that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and not the Pharisees. If the Pharisees make the Sabbath rules, the Sabbath is burdensome. It is burdensome and your conscience trembles. But if Jesus makes the Sabbath rules, the Sabbath is light and a delight. Light and a delight. And so as we move towards our close, all that is left, my friends, is to decide, if you like, who is Lord of your Sabbath? Who is the legislator? of your Sabbath laws. If the Pharisee in you is, then you have the comfort of a legalist. What do I mean by that? You reinterpret the law so that you can keep it. You add extra rules so you can try and save yourself by yourself, and then despise anyone who threatens your extra rules because they threaten your comfort of being saved except it's a false comfort because keeping rules cannot save you. It is a false comfort. That's one option. Feel good about yourself for a short while because you think you've kept some rules that are actually your own rules. Or, or you can honor Jesus as the rightful Lord of the Sabbath. He makes the rules. And so he decides that he saves by grace. And that is the only way that you can be saved. And he decides what rules you live by. Delightful rules, such as stop what you're doing, rest in Jesus and worship God. Those are not burdensome. And so my friends, choose the true comfort of honoring Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Forgive us when we try to earn your favor by keeping rules. Help us to live by your delightful rules. Help us to stop what we're doing, to rest in you, because only by resting in you are we saved, saved freely. And to worship you, to worship you every day, every Sunday, and into eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.